One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, guys. Ryan Sprague here. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to take a quick moment to thank some people for donating to the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. To Joseph, Joanne, and Michael, I can't thank you enough for not only listening, but donating your hard-earned money to making the show happen. While Somewhere in the Skies is free to listen to, guys, it is not free to create. The website, audio file hosting, and the recording and editing equipment all cost money out of pocket, so any donations, big or small, are appreciated more than you can imagine. These donations keep the show going and assure only the best content is brought to you each and every Monday. With these donations, I can also make the show better in quality and quantity. This is a huge passion project of mine, and it means the world to me to have you on board. So if you're at all interested in donating, head on over to www.somewhereintheskies.com and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Or you can donate directly through PayPal to spreg51 at hotmail.com. If you wish to donate in any other way, contact me through the website or Facebook. Thank you for your continued support. And now, let's get to the show. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. All you need is one guy or girl to stand up and say, fuck this. And everyone goes, voice of a generation, thank you. I've been thinking that. I never had the guts to stand up and say it. You only need 5% or less to, like, embrace ideas and change it. You know, change the way people think all over again. It becomes a lineage. These people find each other and this timeline grows. It is confession time on Somewhere in the Skies. I've always been a closeted punk rock music kid at heart. Growing up as a straight white Christian male in a rather suburban location in Syracuse, New York, I desperately searched for outlets to challenge convention, you know, question authority. And bands like the Sex Pistols, the Cramps, the Buzzcocks, the Ramones, they caught my attention probably at too early of an age. But this then collided into more recent bands like Fugazi, Bad Religion, Black Flag. I'd found a subgenre of music that spoke volumes about issues that many shied away from, both on a micro and macro level. Also below the surface was my innate curiosity and underground study of UFOs. I did this in the shadows, fearing ridicule and judgment. But if there was anything punk rock taught me, it was that you never should be afraid of speaking out against authority and forced beliefs. I embraced my unconventional interests and then shouted them from the rooftops to anyone 
who listen. And that was my punk rock ufology. And when I found today's guest, I knew I'd found a kindred spirit in both my musical and ufological tastes. Mike DeMonte is the author of Punk Rock and UFOs, Cryptozoology Meets Anarchy. He's worked for the Houston Chronicle as a copy editor, writer, reporter, and web producer. He currently produces their Miked music blog and has interviewed bands and musicians like Bad Religion, Blink-182, Taking Back Sunday, Tegan and Sarah, and even Aerosmith. He currently teaches journalism and English in Houston, Texas. Today, we talk about Mike's book and his many theories on what we may be dealing with in terms of the UFO question. So, without further ado, here's our conversation with Mike DeMonte. All right, I have been looking forward to this interview for a while now, and today we are going to be talking about two topics that are near and dear to my heart, and I know they are for him as well, because he has a book out and an awesome new website, and that is Punk Rock and UFOs, and he is Mike DeMonte. Thanks so much for joining me on Somewhere in the Skies today, brother. Oh, uh, thank you for having me. I'm really stoked to be on, and it's, uh, it's an honor to be on. I've been following your work, you know, for the past year, and uh, I just, I really, this is something I've been looking forward to for, uh, for a while, so thank you for finally having me on. I'm, I'm excited. Oh, cool. Well, yes, the feelings are very mutual. Well, Mike, for the listeners who, who may not be familiar with your work, can you, can you give us a little background on how your whole involvement in the UFO topic really started, the, uh, the inception of your craziness? <laughs> um, so when I was a kid... My mom used to get me uh, – there were these Time Life books, and uh, every month they would have a new series. It would be like a subscription service. And each month would be something like the UFO phenomenon or mysterious places or unknown creatures. It was all about the unknown each month. And as a kid, I was just fascinated by it. I was fascinated by uh, the concept of UFOs, the unknown, the unexplained, the fact that you know, there's these things out, out there and uh, the search for the truth. And then uh, I was always interested in that. Fast forward to, you know, my my college years when I was involved in journalism, you know, journalism, you know, you seek the truth. And, you know, I worked in the journalism industry for, you know, I worked for a major newspaper for uh, seven years as a writer, reporter, copy editor, web producer. I pretty much did everything there for a while. So I, I have a deep background in journalism. So those two things kind of went hand in hand. But my foray into actually, you know, uh, being you know, slowly putting, you know, getting my toe in the door within the industry, you know, just that actually just only happened about a year ago. I've always been into this stuff, always. But uh, when I decided to write the book, it, things kind of took off from there. And uh, yeah, I mean, this past year, just I've really, like I said, I've slowly been involved into the UFO uh, scene, I guess, this year. But I, I've always been interested in this topic at a very, very young age. I never really stopped being interested. It just really, once I started writing the book, everything just kind of snowballed since then. Yeah, it's definitely been a whirlwind. Your name is out there now in the UFO community and beyond. It's awesome. I, I, it's so refreshing to see people my age out there looking <laughs> into this stuff, brother. So um, so happy to have you. Uh, well, let's, let's talk about the book. The title is what really captures the imagination. Punk rock and UFOs, cryptozoology meets anarchy. All right, you got to tell us a bit about why these two topics mean so much to you and what what do they have in common? Uh, that's a great question. That's a question I get all the time. And uh, it's funny because, you know, when I came up with the title, it just kind of had this immediate kind of something catchy about it. There's just something that kind of worked. 
even though on the surface you may think, wait, why, how does this work? But for some reason, the title has been a really big selling point uh, for the book and uh, for interest in it. And I always tell people when I'm talking about punk rock and UFOs, when I say punk rock, I'm not necessarily talking about punk rock music. I'm talking about the mindset between punk rock, the rebellious nature. Mm-hmm. And I always, you know, um, I always tell people, you know, there's a lot of um, uh, a lot of things discussed in the book that talks about our rebellious nature as a, you know, as humans, right? What, what we choose to rebel against, uh, that process of, of belief. You know, what beliefs do we rebel against? Which ones do we accept? So that's kind of where the punk rock aspects comes in as well. Also, cryptozoology, you know, it's an underdog science. And anyone who grew up listening to punk rock music or the punk rock scene, you know, you always had the underdog mentality. So I always thought, you know, cryptozoology as an underdog science kind of went hand in hand to the theme. So when everyone always asks me what my book is about, the short answer I give them, it's about cryptozoology as an underdog science. That's awesome. I, I can't think of a better way to put it. We all always root for the underdog. And anyone who grew up listening to punk music, I was definitely one of those suburban kids who tried desperately, you know, to stand out. You, you do feel that often, and you feel that often in the UFO field and cryptozoological field as well. So I think a lot of people can relate to that, Mike. I'm so glad you went with that. Well, one, of the, one of the first things that stood out about the book was the cover art. You've got this, like... This funky-looking UFO shooting a beam that breaks through a roof of a floating house and it's (laughs) sucking up like a shit ton of people. It's super eye-catching. You got to tell us about this. Who who did this and what was the impetus behind it? All right, so the artwork is by Alex Satina. Uh, He is a tattoo artist uh, in Houston, uh, where I reside. He's been a friend of mine for years, and he he, I've seen his you know his tattoo artwork before and I just, it just made sense to me you know i was like look he, he has really cool because uh, he, he's into this stuff too so if you look at some of the other artwork in the book like on the back cover there's a, a skull the yeah. ufo skull and inside the skull there's this really cool design of a ufo at a campsite and i just thought his artwork was so rad um really creative and you could tell you know there's another um in the book there's a hand shaking hands with almost like a reptilian and in the background. There's a pyramid with like UFO over it. Like he has really cool uh, concepts. So I thought tattoo art would be perfect to go with the concept of the book, to go with the aesthetic of the book and everything. So I met him up one night and I pitched him. I'm like, Hey, can we, can I use your art in the book? And he was down. Um, I didn't have to commission anything. And a lot of the art was already done. So what you're seeing actually on the cover is an actual tattoo that was done on a person. And that was lifted uh, the artist lifted it from the skin and kind of transposed it into the photograph you see on the cover. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. that's pretty awesome. Uh, well, let's let's get into the book a little bit. In the first chapter, you know, going off of the cryptozoological aspect, you talk about Bigfoot, uh, yeah. which we don't hear about often in UFO books. But it is definitely something I find of interest, and I know some of the listeners were. Mike, what's your argument that Bigfoot is real? Even amongst hoaxes, you know, we've seen all these fake videos and photos of UFOs, but this happens in the Bigfoot community as well. Uh, but I know that you have personal experience with having a debate on Bigfoot. Could you sort of run us through that story? Yeah. So the reason why I included this in the book is, you know, it's called the chapter called the Great Bigfoot Debate. And just kind of an example of kind of how, um, you know, cryptozoology is sometimes looked down upon. And uh, when I was working at the Eastern Chronicle at the time, uh, I was this is when I was web producing. This is probably my last year there. And uh, Eric Berger is his name. He was the uh, the science and weather writer. And uh, I, w- I always really liked him. I really didn't really um, deal with him much, but I always respected him because he was he was a really good journalist. He was really good at his job. 
And uh, I think one day he tweeted something about how one in three Americans believe in Bigfoot or something. And then he kind of made like some snide joke. So we started going back and forth on Twitter. And one of the, the bosses, one of the higher ups caught wind to that. And I was like, oh, crap, I'm in trouble. You know, if we're going at it with this guy, you know, who's you know higher up in the food chain than me. Uh, but actually, what they wanted to do is they wanted to actually have us debate on uh, it was, I think, Google Hangout, which was relatively new at the time. Mm-hmm. And we should have just actually just taped it and put it on YouTube because basically the the whole thing was just kind of it would cut in and out. And the whole production aspect of it was just kind of a, a mess. But yeah. the, actual debate, the actual debate itself was pretty fun. Um, there are some things he was uncomfortable with me bringing up uh, ahead of time, like religion, because he didn't want to offend readership. Uh, but, you know, my main argument was we're constantly discovering new new species all the time. I think a year prior to when we had this debate, they discovered the largest cave in the world in Brazil, which has been hiding there this whole time. So if there's something that large that could be undiscovered and there's new species being discovered all the time, why not Bigfoot? In, in spite of all the hoaxes, you know, I mean, if you go back to... I mean, these stories, you know, very much like UFOs. I mean, these stories have been going back for, you know, these sightings is going back for, for centuries. Is it, is, it, is it folklore or is it, is it Americana? Is it, is it truth? You know, either way, you know, these stories have been passed on for generations and generations. And people have been seeing uh, Bigfoot just like they've been seeing UFOs for, for generations and generations as well. So that's my argument for the existence of a Bigfoot. Very interesting. And I know someone like Jacques Vallée would definitely agree with you there. <laughs> One of the uh, the preeminent people in our field, definitely a hero, and also still coming up with new ideas as culture progresses and as the phenomenon seems to as well. So that's that's great. You have a chapter in the book, Mike, titled UFO Army, which is an awesome <laughs> title, by the way. Um, you bring up – okay, I, I'm no geologist, I'm no scientist, uh, chemist, whatever this happens to be, but bdellium. Could you, could you tell us a little bit about this and what it has to do with the alien question? Well, when I was writing the book, you know, there's it kind of, you know, I had my topics that I, I was going to tackle. And there's that that chapter just kind of stands out because it's kind of random. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do think, you know, I was really fascinated with the idea that, you know, there's a lot of theories that aliens been, you know, they've been visiting our planet for our Earth's natural resources. And for some reason, palladium really uh, stood out to me just because, you know, basically, what it is, is it's a water-soluble gum, and it's kind of found in medicines commonly found in Africa. It's also referenced in the Bible, too, which is really interesting to me as a precious stone or crystal. Now, that goes—so that kind of sparked a little interest in me, precious stone or crystal. You know, we talk about the crystal skulls that are found, and many people have described some UFOs as looking crystal-like. And, you know, crystal skulls are also considered a symbol of regeneration to the Aztecs. So, to me, that was absolutely fascinating. So I think the, the really interesting thing about this stuff when you're interested in it is trying to piece stuff together, whether it fits or not. It's just kind of the uh, the journey, the adventure to try to piece stuff together, seeing what fits and what works and what's not. And a lot of it's just theory, right? But um, it's absolutely fascinating how you, we can tie so much stuff into theories about our our existence, our beginnings, and UFOs and visitations. Absolutely. And I mean, the the whole idea of theory is something I found prevalent in every chapter of your book. You're not just recounting old cases. You're not giving someone else's, uh, you know, statement on what it was. You're theorizing new possibilities for what these UFOs could be. And I think that's what really stuck out in the book for me and made me really think. I mean, there's some some things we'll talk about in a moment that uh, kind of blew my mind in your book. But I want to I want to 
trace back to your career as a journalist, but you bring up an amazing quote in chapter four of your book, and this has stuck with me. I've kind of stolen it from you, so I apologize. (laughs) And this was uh, from a Dead Kennedys member. Can you tell us what this quote is and what how it relates to UFOs? Um, Well, it's don't hate the media, become the media. And that was by Joe Biafra uh, from the Dead Kennedys. And at the time when I was in college, I remember, you know, I was heavily into journalism classes. Uh, I was also working at the Eastern Chronicle while in college. Um, I was writing all the time. I was, you know, very into the early uh, mindset of punk rock, you know, the the rebellious nature of it. But it was more of a rebellion. You know, I kind of mentioned this in the book, too. Even as a young kid, I was very rebellious, not in the sense where I was... I misbehaved, but I was always rebellious in the way I thought, right? I, you know, I rebelled against, you know, different uh, thought systems and beliefs rather, you know, behaviorally. So when I was in college and, you know, listening to all these bands and stuff, it kind of, that quote really, you know, stuck with me because a lot of people aren't media literate. I just remember, you know, I had this one professor, he was super woke, like back then. (laughs) Um, I remember he even like, he even kind of gave me crap for working at the Chronicle, like I was a sellout. And I'm like, dude, I'm in college, like, this is a big deal to me to have this job while in college. Like, does this make me less, like, less progressive to you than I'm working for the quote unquote mainstream media? Like, come on. But uh, I was so, I was kind of, that kind of stuck out. But no, I mean, that quote's true. You know, there's a lot of myths about the media and how it works. And you know, a lot of people aren't media literate. And I wanted to t- kind of talk about in the book specifically how sto- stories in general, not just UF stories, you know, UFO stories, stories in general, how they're placed and how they're covered. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people always look at broadcast media. And broadcast media, it's a ratings-driven industry. So, you know, that's why you kind of see, you know, CNN pretty much the same story being played up all day, mm-hmm. right? Or the story of the day is getting all the attention. Um, and with UFO stories, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're good for, you know, a day. You really don't see much follow-ups, which has always been my um, kind of beef with uh, how UFOs are covered in the mainstream media. You, you know, you get the initial story, you know, you get, uh, you get the, you know, the photo, the eyewitness testimony, the video, and then nothing after that, um, which has always been frustrating. But lately, I feel like we've, we've been seeing a lot more stories in mainstream media, uh, I would say the past year or so. I, ever since I wrote the book, I feel like. Uh, I mean, my book has nothing to do with that, but I feel like... <laughs> Don't cut yourself short. <laughs> no, it almost proves my argument wrong <laughs> in a way that, you know, that these, you know, we're seeing more of these stories now. But, you know, once again, it's it's how they're covered. You know, if, you know, if you live in, you know, for example, you live in Queens, right? If, you know, there's a UFO sighting in Queens, is that going to be the top story of the day on the news? No, I'll probably get about three minutes on your on your local television coverage. You know, but it's not going to be the top story of the day, even though, in my opinion, you know, something like that should be considered one of the top stories of the day. Good point. Yeah. And like you said, it there'll be no follow up. What was that UFO? You never hear about it. It's you're right. It's broadcast journalism. It's sensationalism. It's the fluff between commercials or the product. So, yeah, I, I can't agree with you more. Well, in terms of these theories, I want to get back to that, Mike, because you bring some pretty ambitious things forward. One of them was from Rick Strassman and DMT and how they might be connected to UFOs or possibly even the abduction phenomenon. Can you walk us through what uh, Mr. Strassman has theorized? Well, I'll just go through kind of that general idea. So basically everyone who, not everyone, but most people who have either a near-death experience um, have a, the same type of the same type of experience, same type of phenomenon. Whether it's a, you know, they see a light, 
They hear a voice. Some of them actually even hear or see aliens. They describe it as an alien or an angelic experience. And uh, DMT is actually a synthetic drug where you can actually recreate that experience, um, which would be crazy to try. Uh, but I wouldn't do it. But, but to me, that was really fascinating because, you know, if you listen to what these people uh, who have these near-death experiences, what they, uh, some of the things that they go through is very similar to, uh, to what people who've been abducted uh, describe, too. So I thought that was really fascinating, the fact that, you know, they hear voices. A lot of times, you know, they have the sense that these voices are someone from their past, someone that they've known. You know, they see a light. Um, there's this feeling of almost, you know, not being, you know, in full control. And, you know, these are all very, you know, similarities to many abduction cases as well. It almost seems like you're in a, the same suspended type of uh, reality, you know? Yeah. Well, in terms of reality, you also bring up the work of Dr. Robert Lanza. And this has to do with consciousness. And this is something that I've been looking at a lot lately. Some other UFO researchers have looking at other than the nuts and bolts ufology that we're all used to. Could you explain this theory that Mr. Lanza's brought forward in terms of consciousness in UFOs? Yeah, well, the UFO part, I tied the UFO part into that just because I have this crazy theory. But Robert Lanza, he basically says that our souls have consciousness. So basically, it's, you know, our souls in the biblical sense, not in the biblical sense, but basically our souls are an energy force or a life force that holds our consciousness in them. So when we die, our memories go with us. But our souls, you know, all our consciousness and our memories and everything doesn't die. That lives on. Our physical body dies. So that's, that's kind of what he said. So from there, I was thinking, and I came up with this theory, you know, what if our souls and our consciousness, what if when we die... That is how we can get to heaven. And by heaven, I don't mean in the biblical sense. What if heaven is a place that we cannot, in our current life form, we cannot visit, whether it's another part of the universe or another dimension? But what if that's how we go there, right? Our cognition, our memories, what if that's what goes, you know, to heaven? And that's kind of my theory. And that kind of ties back into another uh, strange theory I have about UFOs in general, about because a lot of people talk about abductions and they always consider it as an angelic experience. And I just threw this out there. You know, it's not something I fully believe. But, you know, what if, you know, because, I mean, UFOs have been, they've been there, they've been almost like they're watching over us, right? <laughs> so what if in some weird way they're kind of like guardian angels, you know? Or when I say the word angels, everyone knows going to think in the biblical sense. But what if they were something kind of like that, you know? Or what if that's what happens to our, our life form, you know, eventually once we get to, you know, these other universes when they're conscious, maybe... I mean, I know this all sounds crazy, but it's just something that I think is kind of fascinating. Like, the book is very theory-driven, and that just kind of happened through my research. The more I read up on certain stuff, I just started to hypothesize my own theories about it, just by tying together some things I previously read. And I, I think that's kind of the fascinating part of being interested in this stuff. You know, you, you're, you're, t you're taking puzzle pieces, and you're putting it together, and you're coming up with these theories, and some of them are absolutely impossible to test. Mm -hmm. um, like this one, <laughs> there's absolutely no <laughs> way we could test this, but I still thought it was something I really wanted to include in the book because I thought it was a very, uh, interesting take I had on it, whether I truly believe it or not. I don't think that's the question. I think it's just kind of interesting to throw out there that what if. Absolutely. And I mean, another one of those theories that you bring up in the book is that of wormholes. And we do, we do hear about a lot of this, um, in terms of some of the more mainstream scientists looking at how UFOs could travel here, you know, some va such vast distances. And 
One of the things you brought up was uh, – this is pretty cool because I'm actually working on a presentation right now about the Bermuda Triangle and triangles throughout the world and these these vortices and these possible like time warps and wormholes is one of those. And you, I know for a fact, have been to the Bermuda Triangle and you also brought up the case about Bruce Gurnan Jr. And this was fascinating. This was a man who actually went through the triangle and survived. Could you tell us a little about this? So I remember that was one of the first things as a, as a kid I read. Uh, it, was the whole, it was a whole book, I think, on Mysterious Places. And it talked about the Bermuda Triangle in his case specifically. And I remember it had really cool artwork to go with it. So as a kid, I was just really, you know, fascinated and drawn to it. And so basically he was, you know, one, one of the only people to go through it. And what's really fascinating is how he was able to make all this time. Because uh, I think when he got out of the, the wormhole, he was in Miami Beach. Yeah. Somewhere by Florida, and the time that passed, there'd be no possible way to make it from the Rio Triangle to the Miami Beach location in something like three minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that defies, you know, all logic and science, which is really fascinating. What he saw when he went through, you know, just the kind of like the how he described what it looked like with the the line, the lines, and he. I think he even uh, so there was he even saw a cylinder shaped object, which you know everyone who follows UFOs know that. You know, one of the most common UFOs is a cylinder-shaped one. So yeah, I definitely believe that you know these wormholes, there's there's specific spots on Earth that could be a key to you know traveling to these other galaxies and dimensions and these universes that we aren't technologically or maybe even spiritually advanced yet to to go to. I think our approach when it comes to you know the technology and uh, you know from alien ships i think we're just we're i think we're doing it wrong you know i think we have to throw away everything we know conventionally about flight and space and and space travel uh, just from you know what i've known about from my research about you know uh, reverse engineered and uh ufos and what people believe about that um you know a lot of people believe they run on something called free energy which is an idea and a concept that the that the, that the nazis tried to when they were trying to reverse engineer ufos of their own that was something that they were trying to find as well so I think, you know, when it comes to space travel and I, I just think we're still light years behind to even get there at this point. But back to, um, you know, wormholes and the idea of you know traveling through different universes in the Bermuda Triangle. I think the Bermuda Triangle is definitely, you know, one of those anomalies. When I was a kid, we, we took a family cruise uh, to Bermuda. And I remember, you know, you pass through, you go around the triangle, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they make it known on the on the boat that, hey, you know, this is the time we're going to be passing through it. Um, you know, they wore in a fog. And I remember I went out there because I was crazy, I guess. And I wanted to see it. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and I was probably the only one on the deck. And I just remember standing there and I just remember it was just fog. You couldn't see a thing. And it was just really eerie feeling. Um, like you're not supposed to be there. You know, like there's just a sense of danger, but excitement at the same time, mm-hmm. you know? And it was a feeling I never really had before in my life. And uh, uh, at a young age, like that's something that always stood by me. So yeah, it was definitely one of those once in a lifetime experiences, just kind of being so close to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just feeling the energy, and it, it was it was odd, but it I, was definitely memorable. I, I can only imagine, man. I mean, I, I I cannot put myself in your shoes, but I know a lot of witnesses to UFOs 
have said the same thing. You know, I, I felt like I was not supposed to be there at the time. Yeah. Um, others claimed that, yes, it was meant to be. I was meant to see this. But we do hear often with more of these uh, more close encounter cases that some this seemed like it was planned or uh, that this was all some sort of performance piece by some greater power or intelligence and that they were seeing how you would react and how your emotions would run a gamut. Uh, It's fascinating. Um, And you have to wonder if this has anything to do with the Bermuda Triangle as well. So I I commend you for even going out on the deck of that boat, man. More than I could have done. Maybe I was trying to get away from my family. Maybe they were driving me crazy or something. (laughs) That is the ultimate decision. Yeah. As a kid, there's only so much you can do. So for me, that, that was my. This is what I'm. This is the one thing I want to do. I want to, you know, experience the Bermuda Triangle. Hopefully, I don't get sucked into it. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, and I, my parents pissed me off. I went and camped out in the backyard, but you went out into the Bermuda Triangle. So. <laughs> well, other than let's say time traveling guardian angels with all your research do you have any personal thoughts on what ufos are you know we we've we've theorized we've come up with uh different ideas of what they could be what do you as mike demonte what do you think ufos are is it a mixture of just a bunch of stuff is it coming from one source what do you personally feel i'm going to put you on the spot here that's a really good question um i believe that they've always been here. Um, I believe UFOs are what they are. I think they are extraterrestrial. Um, I think there's uh, galaxies and there's universes that you know that we know we 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 haven't been able to get there yet. You know, we're light years away from even discovering there. And you know, it's pretty arrogant, I think, for us to think we're the only ones out there. You know, let alone intelligent life. And you know, it's you know, in the book I talk about the the the, the Fermi paradox and how it's kind of a blow to our ego that we're not only the that, that, that we're not the uh, king of the jungle, right, in terms of the universe, you know. And uh, one of the things that Fermi Paradox talks about is, you know, what if these other civilizations are hostile? You know, you know, we're, we're always trying to you know, send out signals and try to get contact. But what if some of these civilizations we don't want to be calling? You know, almost Hollywood, almost like Hollywood, right, like you've seen a movie. But I think there's, you know, there's something to say there. I think that's a very, um, like the Fermi Paradox is a very underrated aspect in terms of uh i think in discussion of ufos mm-hmm. and that's one of the the things that kind of stood out to me but no i always believe that it's extraterrestrial in nature uh, they've always been here you go back to the beginning of time you know just from you know various cultures and societies have experienced and reported on the same phenomenon it appears in every religion um some type of reference um just just through the ancient the early civilizations you know through the sumerians on and I always think that's very fascinating is to start with early civilizations. The fact that these early civilizations are referencing fallen people from the sky. You know, I, I think that's that's very telling. Yeah. And for, for people to kind of overlook that is just kind of mind boggling. And I know it's a blow to a lot of people's religions, but it's like basically every religion basically believes around the same thing. The stories are similar. You know, the, the 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 names are different. Some of the times are different, but there's very there's a lot of similarities. And uh, I just think, you know, it shouldn't be a blow to our ego as humans that if aliens were around the whole time, you know, they influence so much of our culture. You know, if that's something that the government's hiding, I think that's ridiculous to hide. You know, we know they've been keeping stuff from us, you know, for for years. And I think it's really cool when you hear uh, people who were once involved in government, like Paul Hellier, who was a former uh, Canadian uh, defense. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, part of the Caden uh, defense team. Mm-hmm. To come out and straight up admit it. Yes, they exist. Yes, governments know. Yes, governments been in contact. I think that's amazing, and that's another thing too. Like that should be a huge story. You know, that shouldn't be a story that's just kind of out there. Mm-hmm. That should be top story. You know, that should be front page news. That's my belief. I believe that they've they've always been here, and uh, I subscribe to some of the ancient astronaut and some of the uh, some of the teachings from uh, Zachariah Stitchin. Uh, I definitely subscribe to some of those beliefs. Not all of them, because a lot of them are kind of out there. <laughs> but I, I definitely think you know that they've been here since the beginning of time, and they've influenced you know our culture and mythology. You know, it's really fascinating that, you know, religion and even Greek mythology and others, you know, mythologies, you know, that there actually be truth to it. You know, if you, you know, I'm a big fan of like comic books and superheroes. And a lot of people say like superheroes and comic books are our modern day mythology. But when you go back and actually, you know, read mythology and then you read texts from, from various religions and it's like, wow, they actually kind of go hand in hand. And then you tie them into historical accounts as well. You know, these stories aren't, you know, they're not mutually exclusive to to each other. You know, there's a lot of overlap in them, and I think that's really fascinating. Absolutely, yeah. And, I mean, there's so much to to draw from as well in terms of comics and then going back from that and back from that. Uh, it is. It's a snowball effect. It's throughout culture. It's throughout belief systems. Uh, and it's throughout government, too. And I want to talk about that a little bit, Mike. In terms of disclosure, you brought up Paul Hellier. Uh, we've had many whistleblowers who've come forward and said, yes, we have life forms or we've we have found technology from et and we've reverse engineered it but we don't have that grand disclosure that some people in the ufo community strive for yay or nay on disclosure what are your thoughts on this well i mean there's always the you know the idea that there's disinformation campaigns right that project blue book is another disinformation campaign and you know uh how the cia and the government puts out false stories out there i mean there's always that belief i think there should be a skepticism when it comes to what the government tells us and doesn't tell us. But at the same time, you know, it's it's the point where it's what we choose to believe, right? Process of belief. The government could disclose all this stuff, right? Project Blue Book, but it has to be us as a society who care about it. I think deeply they know that the majority of society does not care enough. You know, they can release all these uh, sketches and photos and uh, stories, right, that have been reported. They can release those all they want, but if the general population and populace doesn't care, you know, it, it, who's that appeasing? Who's going to look at it? You right. know, People like us, and then skeptics will look at it as well. But 
as long as the mainstream doesn't care. I mean, as a society, you know, we're just kind of pacified by, you know, pop culture, our interests, fluff, war, politics. We have so much other things that are kind of at the forefront of what we give attention to. So I think the government could disclose all they want until you have a press, a televised press conference with world leaders admitting it. Then I think, you know, the, the the mainstream public will take notice. But, you know, just, you know, if the government discloses, you know, a few things here and there, it's not a big story, which is a shame. Well, and like you said, even if the president or the world leaders all came together and said, yes, there is ET life out there, it's visited us, life goes on. We'll go back to our yeah. jobs. We'll keep talking about war. We'll keep, you know, arguing over Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> it's just, it's the way, it's the way of the world now, especially with the internet. So you, you do have to wonder if that disclosure ever happened, what, what will it be? What is that hypothetical uh, reaction to it throughout the economy, religion, uh, the overall psychology of, you know, history books, everything? Yeah, I think there's a general fear you know, from the governments and that if this stuff gets out there, you know, life as we know is going to cease to end or, you know, people are going to, you know, our history books and our religions are all going to be have to be rewritten. But I don't think, you know, it's not going to be anarchy in the streets. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. if anything, these are these are things we deserve to know as, as a human race. There's no reason why this stuff should be hidden. And I mean, you know, I hate to, you know, but the truth is out there. You know, people have have their own theories and there's 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 a lot of evidence to back up different people's beliefs about our DNA and, you know, kind of where we originated from. So all that stuff is out there. So if the government came out and finally admitted it, I don't think it'd be a giant, you know, blow to the. Uh, to the human psyche. And I think that's something that they're irrationally worried about. Mm -hmm. uh, moving away from the book a little, Mike, let's let's move to your website and your blog, punkrockandufos.com. Now, is this a continuation of the book or how do you, th this is a rather new site. How do you see this site and uh, what it's going to contribute to the whole UFO discussion? Well, it's, I wanted to continue writing about this subject in terms of doing things that were a little outside of the box. So I think the, the idea of Punk Rock New Foes, the book, was a little outside of the box as well. So the website, I wanted to take something that mixes cryptozoology and culture. And I wanted to be, you know, have some serious articles and discussions on there as well, but also do more featurey things. You know, like one of the first people I featured was you, because uh, I always thought you were somebody who was very likable and approachable and... I was a huge fan of your book and everything you're doing, and I thought you were an easy target to go to first, right? Because <laughs> uh, I wanted to kind of, you know, appeal to a younger audience kind of as well. So I always kind of, when people ask me about the website, I, I kind of joke. It's like, well, think like Maxim, but like for cryptozoology, but without all the scantily clad women. There you go. <laughs> you know, like, yep. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Just, just something a little bit more featurey, like. For example, uh, I interviewed Milo Ackerman from The Descendants in October, and I asked him about UFOs, and I saved that question. So when I launched the site, you know, I was able to do stuff like that, you know, have different people's takes on it. Yeah, and I want to interview people involved w within the scene who have something interesting or new perspective or are interested in, in stuff outside of UFOs that we can all kind of bring together. Uh, for example, like I interviewed uh, Jason, Jason McCohen, who you know, you're good friends with, and yeah. I know he's a big uh, beer connoisseur. So I really wanted to get his take on UFO beers as well. So besides talking to him about, you know, about UFOs and his beliefs and his new podcast, I wanted to get his take on, you know, what's the best? Because there's so many themed UFO beers out there. I wanted to get his take on that. So that's kind of the goal of the site is to, you know, report on things that I think are interesting and newsworthy. Um, and also try to bring in uh, more more people to the, to the subject as well and just kind of 
kind of get to know the people involved in it as well. You know, their interests, you know, merge their interests outside of UFOs as well onto it. Right, right. And, you know, well, what my girlfriend and I, we have two heroes, Mike, in life. And uh, that happened to also have been on a TV show together. That's Destination Truth. My hero is Josh Gates and hers is Aaron Ryder. And you recently had the opportunity to interview Ryder on your blog. Uh, how was that? How was it to interview someone like of that stature, so visible within the UFO realm and beyond? And what did you two discuss on the blog? That, that was awesome because it was the first like big name. You know, the fact that she's been on TV and she's kind of, you know, respected in the field. She's been on multiple shows. Uh, she's a producer. So, and, you know, for me, you know, usually in journalism, whenever I interview bands or athletes and you kind of go through people's, uh, they have publicists and, you know, companies you go through. But, you know, I'm just kind of doing this old school style. I've just been reaching out to these people personally. And uh, it's just, I just reached out to her and she was down. And I was really humbled when she told me she's, she read my site and she really liked it. She really liked my voice. And uh, she really wants to read my book. And I was really like, wow, I was really surprised by that. You know, it's funny. Like, you know, I put out the book, not, you know, not trying to make a bunch of money, just actually have the book get out there. And uh, it's just funny to have people reach out to me. I ha- I've had two producers reach out to me before uh, regarding two potential TV shows that nothing ever uh, came through. Both of them kind of fell through. But just yeah, the they often do. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just the power of having, you know, a book out there in the interest. So getting somebody, Aaron Ryder, on board really early. I mean, that was one of the first big stories. Yeah. I was awesome. And I, just, uh, I mean, we talked about multiple things. Like one of them, you know, outside UFOs, she recently attended Coachella. And she actually pretty wrote, she pretty much wrote like a mini review of her experience there. Because we, we did the interview via email because she, she was super busy. And uh, I mean, she wrote me novels. Like she gave me so much good stuff to work with. And it was just really fascinating just to kind of see how, you know, I kind of want to go behind the scenes, like how she preps for uh, an expedition just because they're so physically taxing. And I know she's in great shape. She's, you know, really involved in fitness. But, you know, there's more to it than that because, you know, you can work out all you want. But when it comes to certain physical activities, there, there's other things you have to do to prepare. Like, for right. example, you know, I play hockey and, you know, I could be in the, the greatest shape in the world. But when you play hockey, it's a different shape. You know, <laughs> you do as much cardio as possible, but, you know, you work all these muscles, you never work, and then you're dead. Oh, good point. Uh, so I kind of want to, uh, you know, I got her perspective of, you know, what she does to prepare for an expedition, you know, mentally and physically, what are some things she, uh, she brings to eat, you know, just, you know, it was questions like that, you know, in addition to, you know, the the bigger questions about cryptozoology as a whole and how it's approached and how it's looked at nowadays and her experiences as well. So I try to bring those questions to the table to kind of go behind the scenes too. That's really cool, man. Yeah, you're filling in the gaps of like what goes into these sorts of things, like investigations and whatnot. Like you can go out and look for UFOs in the sky, but like if you're not bringing any equipment out there with you, like it's going to be pretty hard. You're going to see the moon, some stars, maybe Venus. That's about it. But like, like you said, you have to prepare for these types of things. It's not just what you see on TV, like someone going out and just climbing a mountain to get somewhere to look for something. There, you have to be trained in. That. That. You have to be trained to scuba dive like that. There's so much that goes to it. And the fact that you got so down to like what she brings out to eat that that's awesome. Well, yeah, that, that was probably one of my funnest interviews uh, I've done um, just because it, her answers are great. It was so in depth. It really to kind of for anyone that's interested in doing an expedition of their own. It's, I think it's a great read to kind of see what really goes on. And uh, I definitely had a, got a newfound respect for her as well, just because of how um, how down to earth she was and how cool she was. 
Well, here's another big name. It's the elephant in the room. I know you've interviewed him, so we got to bring it up, my man. I was a huge Blink fan. Uh, more newfound glory, actually. I grew up on them, but Blink is great, too. Uh, you've been covering the work of former Blink frontman Tom DeLonge for a while, and I want to hear your... You've interviewed him, too. I want to hear your thoughts on this whole Tom DeLonge issue, where you think it's heading, we're promised something from him soon. <laughs> Early this year, I set out to do something pretty challenging. I wanted to shift perception on an extraordinary topic that had already over 70 years of research, opinion, and frankly, quite effective disinformation. I had the rare opportunity to present my ideas to an executive with the Department of Defense who worked in special access programs in an area called Watertown, also known as Area 51. That meeting led to multiple clandestine encounters across the United States, from desert airports, to vacant buildings deep within Washington, D.C. From these exchanges, I learned three things. One, there are certain things that should never have been secret. Two, there are secrets that were justifiable at the time but should now be disclosed. And three, there are things that are so terrifying and unimaginable that certain interests believe that they should never, ever be made public. After this, you might even agree. Um, well, I've interviewed him multiple times. Uh, I met him before. I've interviewed him. Um, I I'm kicking myself with this. I never asked him about this topic. It was always music related because at the time it was when you know, Blink was doing their reunion tour. Um, Blink had a new album out. Another time was backstage at an Angels and Airwaves show. So, and at the time he wasn't active. I mean, he was always into this stuff, but he wasn't you know writing any books on it. So those questions never came up, which I'm really kicking myself for because I tried to get quotes from him last year and it was really hard. He's a hard guy to get in touch with nowadays. Uh, just because the people who are handling them, you know, they're, they handle them, they, they're very selective nowadays. It goes beyond being in a band anymore. I think there's there's more to it now. But uh, no, I've been following his career for you know a long time. I'm a huge fan of his, and uh, I've been following. I've been reading the Secret Machines books. And when the first one came out, I was disappointed that it was it was fiction. But the first one was fiction, even though it was based on real historical uh, events. And if you read the book, you, you can actually tell which events they are that they're kind of weaving in there. Right. Um, the second book um, is the nonfiction book that's written by Peter Lavenda. You can tell Peter Lavenda does a lot of the heavy lifting. <laughs> you can tell which parts are written by Tom and which parts are written by Peter. You can, you can actually tell like certain, like specific chapters who writes who. And the book, the first book, Gods, it's it's a really good, um, they took a they, they take a very good look at the ancient alien theory and the stitching theory, but from a more investigative perspective. I'm not saying they're skeptical uh, about it. I think there's, they take it, like I said, it's more of an investigative journalist approach to it. And it's a very, it's a very fresh uh, look at it. Um, as far as anything, you know, because Tom's promised a lot. You know, he's gone on radio stations, um, I mean, radio shows like Coast to Coast, and he's promised a lot of things. And, you know, he, he's met with high-level officials, you know, he says. And, and we haven't really seen any of that come out in any of the books yet. There's one thing that sticks out in the book Gods is the only thing that really sticks out in terms of what Tom has learned um, from talking to these officials is one of the things they, they said to him is go back to Greek mythology and dig deeper. That was told to him by a government official. And I think that's very fascinating because a lot of people have seen writings on, on UFOs that have been written in almost, almost look like, you know, uh, the Greek alphabet. Mm -hmm. So I think that was really fa that That stood out for me in the book. I mean, the rest of the book's great. It's a great read. Um, like I said, Lavenda with Tom, I think uh, they do a really good job of exploring cultures. You know, the, the whole book's really about the, the cargo cult idea. Right. Mm -hmm. Where people aren't familiar with it. You know, say if you're, you live on an island and you've never seen a plane before and a plane comes down. Right. You don't know what a plane is. So you're right. going to 
you know, you're going to associate that with, you know, it's, oh, it's a flying giant bird. It's a lizard. It's an angel. You know, you're going to whatever religion and culture you're going to associate that with. So the, the book does a really good job of kind of digging into the, that kind of cargo cult theory as well. Um, but no, as far as, you know, Tom has his big announcement coming up soon. Who knows what it's going to be about? It's been being delayed. Um, he's, he's known before to delay multiple projects. <laughs> he's a busy guy. Like, yeah, no, he, he tackled, he's crazy in the sense where he tackles so much at the same time. And no disrespect for the people that are working with him, but I feel like his team isn't big enough to kind of handle, you know, it's, it's a small operation to kind of handle everything he has going on. Um, and that's not a slight at them. That's just, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot going on. And apparently, you know, they shot documentary. There's a virtual documentary coming out. And that's what I'm really stoked to see where he's actually interviewing these people uh, on camera. So that's what I'm really looking forward to seeing. I defended Tom a lot uh, just because a lot of people are trying to call him like a profiteer, saying he's trying to like profit off, profit off ufology. And I don't believe that for a second. I mean, he's he doesn't make much money off, you know, people like, oh, well, you know, he's, he's trying to sell T-shirts. And I'm like, first of all, if you know how anything, how books and T-shirt royalties work, you don't make much money off. No. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Tom's set for life in terms of money. You know, he could go on. He could get back with Blanco on one tour and make a million dollars. You right. know, something. So he's not doing it for the money. I really think his heart's in the right place. Whether he comes through or not, you know, uh, I think that's that's the question. But the fact that you can't fault him for trying. And I think he's trying to bring uh, – he, he brings up this idea that, you know, it's uh, – that they're trying to get this stuff out there through through works of, you know, movies and fiction and nonfiction to raise awareness. And I, I could kind of see that. I just wish it was all nonfiction. But I kind of guess where – but if you look at it, think about just through time and, you know, Hollywood – you know, so much, you know, there's been UFO movies for years that Hollywood has, has done. And in a way, that's kind of spread awareness as well, whether it's, you know, I mean, even though these are fiction pieces, you know, so I, I get I kind of get it. You know, the whole, oh, well, you know, we're, we're doing this to spread awareness. I get that. I'm sure looking forward to the next two um, Secret Machines books, the, the, the nonfiction ones. That, those are the ones I'm looking for. Correct. Yeah. Or, Same here. And the documentary. And we know, you know, he's he's teased photos that. And we know from the WikiLeaks as well that he did yeah. interview Podesta on this. So that'll be really interesting. So I, I think he definitely has credibility that people don't give him. You know, like people are like, oh, well, she, he, he should have won UFO Researcher of the Year. I'm like, look, that's that's arbitrary. You know, that's, yeah. that's just an award. You know, at the same, you know, he should be, I think, if anything, people should be happy that, you know, he's using his celebrity and his resources, his financial resources to try to get some truth out there. You know, like I said, whether he comes through or not, but I think, you know, you can't, can't blame him for trying. Exactly. You know, we, we, I think we're lucky to have someone of his prominence looking into the topic and it's clear from when he does interviews or when he talks about it, that he has done more than enough homework to, yeah. to, to earn those individuals who have disclosed some possible truths to him. Now, you know, the whole idea that he might be some sort of, you know, patsy, excuse me, um, in terms of that, uh, we've yet to see. Um, I, I, I hope that's not the case, but he is more deserving than most to, uh, to do this sort of project. So I agree with you. The dude doesn't need the money. There's no reason for him to profit from any of this. And uh, if anything, as we both know, this can be a big uh slash on your reputation this whole topic so and we've seen it already in mainstream media how they cover tom DeLong in ufos you know calling him a nut and this and that but he it's clear he doesn't give a shit you know yeah. he, he loves this topic he finds it fascinating and he's gonna do what he can to get to the highest levels that he can as well 
I mean, the, the simple fact that he walked away from, you know, one of the largest bands in the world to do this should, should speak volumes about his, uh, you know, he's in, you know, he's, he's in this, you know, this is, it should just, like I said, it should speak volumes about his integrity in terms of the subject to walk away from Blink and all the, all the money and all the you know, accolades that go with being in a band that big. Agreed, my man. All right. Well, we'll leave it at that. I know it's a hot issue. We'll see what he brings forward. But in terms of ufology, that word, which is not a real, <laughs> a real <laughs> word, we have to make that you know clear to everyone. My good friend Peter Robbins always says to be a ufologist, spin around three times, touch your nose, and you're done. You're a ufologist. <laughs> what, what do you think, brother? What is ufology? Is it a thing or what should it be? I'm putting you on the spot again. Oh, that's a tough one. I think that's kind of something where I always like to say cryptozoology. Mm-hmm. I don't use the word ufology, ufology often, um, just because it never really resonated with me. Uh, like cryptozoology does. Um, cryptozoology to me is more, it's a little bit more science based. You know, there's actually people with cryptozoology degrees. And, um, but the, I think the fact that I like the thing I like about the idea of a ufologist is kind of anyone can do it. Um, which kind of goes back to punk rock, right? Anyone could play punk rock music. You don't have to be the best musician, you know, for, and to be a ufologist, you don't have to be, you know, the smartest guy in the room. You don't have to be a scientist. I think you just have to be, you have to have an interest in this topic and a passion for it. And the, you know, the, the, the power to, you know, have the integrity just to stand up for your beliefs. And uh, especially, you know, with a topic like this, where it's not, you know, widely mainstreamed and, you know, it's not fully accepted. I, I can't think of a better way to sort of put it all together in terms of like what you're doing, man. That, that was a perfect wrap up. But um, b- before we wrap up, I wanted to talk a little bit about you have a playlist in the back of your book of some songs that inspired you or had something to do with UFOs and aliens. Could you give us a few of those songs and what they, they sort of represent to you? Sure. Um, well, it's funny. So I included the playlist and also in the back I included like a, a glossary. Of um, you know, just kind of a uh, little terms uh, for people who may not be familiar with cryptozoology or UFOs, and so when I was coming up with the book, I really thought it would be kind of a cool type of coffee table book you would get at Urban Outfitters, and that's what I kind of pitched to the publisher. Hey, let's get it at Urban Outfitters. Like, I think it'd be kind of like a cool type of, you know, I think it would kind of work with that type of vibe. And although you know, that's why I included like the playlist, the glossary, and um, yeah, some of the songs in there. I mean, some of them are obvious. You know, Blink One Eight Two Aliens exist. Um, there's there's some more obscure songs like the Wormhole Express by an artist named Carrie Jeb. He's an indie artist from uh, I think he's from Wyoming. Uh, he's a friend of mine as well, and he's really into this stuff too. And he writes songs about about this topic as well. He has a song called a New Home that sounds basically it's about a UFO exploring new territory. It's really cool.
there's some hip-hop songs in there too like Nas we're not alone I mean a lot of people don't really know that that's what the song's about so that's another one uh people should check out I'm gonna tell you what I seen with my three eyes were to me not a hoax back in 99 a spacecraft in the skyline in LA in daytime axe horse of our mind evidence remains in debate documents of our own air force base additional terrestrial information other planets with life population my observation scientists study pictures of a flying disc writer earth anthropologists are finding shit visitors probably live with us they can mimic us it's sort of what we're seeing in the cinema uh, there's misfits I turn into a Martian you have said the Ramones and Screeching Weasel too, a lot of early pop punk and, and punk rock bands as well. So yeah, those are some of the songs on there. That's awesome. Yeah, I I, I immediately downloaded all of them after I oh, finished that's... reading your book. Um, it's great. It's great to know that there's so many musicians out there who've either had UFO sightings and that inspired their work, or uh, vice versa. We know people like Rihanna even as a child yeah. went out and skywatched every night looking for UFOs. So it really runs the gamut in terms of music and this topic. And I think it's a lovely relationship and we're only going to get more of it as the possibility of alien life becomes more of a reality, I think. Well, Mike, where where can we find the book? The website, give it all to us, man, because I'm eating this stuff up. I look forward to everything you're cranking out and I know the listeners will too. So where can we find you? Thank you. All right. So um, punkrockandufos.com. There's a link to order the book on, on, on the website. You can also get it on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com as well. Um, you get it on iTunes and Kindle. Um, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Mike DeMonte, M-I-K-E-D-A-M-A-N-T-E. What's next for the website? Just I'm kinda, I kind of want to do more of the same. Like, for example, uh, the latest story I put out today was from a band called – they're called Roswell Kid. <laughs> and it's – and the, the spelling is different, but I had to interview them. And uh, they, the name does come from Ros- Roswell, New Mexico, because as a kid, one of the guys in the band was heavy into this stuff as well. So I kind of get his take on you know Roswell and, and, and the, the new theory about it. And I just published that today. Uh, yeah, just, I'm going to interview more people in the field. I'm going to talk to Erica Lukes, I think, next week for a feature as well. Great. Because uh, she's on that show, UFOs, The Lost Evidence, which I think is really th- I can't believe I've been sleeping on the show. I think it's only been out for about a year, maybe. I think so. Yeah, but yeah, it's what a great new. show. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. I kind of want to talk to her about that. Um, I have some other ideas too that I'm kind of kicking around as well uh, in terms of for the website people I want to interview. I interviewed Greg Graffin from Bad Religion last year, and I have his take on UFOs. The universe is vast, and obviously, there's you know I'm not an expert on on this at all. But just by probability alone, it seems there must be. I know that that's level one reasoning, but it seems there must be other planets like us that are amenable to to life of some sort. Whether it's intelligent or not is another question. I don't believe humans are the only... You know, humans are not an inevitable product of evolution. So I, it's that means it's less on the probability scale that there are other human-like organisms out there. And he has a really interesting take on it. Um, eventually, I want to talk to Tom Belange again. Um, that'd be great if I could eventually uh, set that up someday. Um, I have also, you know, um, the gears are starting to kick in to start to write another Punk Rock New UFOs book. I kind of want to take the ideas I have in the first one and kind of expand on them. Uh, just because the first book is very theory based. And I kind of want to have another book that's that kind of beefs up some of those arguments in terms of having a little more research behind it about how 
we you know how we, we process things in our minds and how we internalize things so that the, the gears are kind of rolling in my head to you know possibly write another punk rock and ufos book i have some other books that i've been kind of sleeping on that are almost finished i have a, a, a fiction book about bigfoot which is almost done but it's it's based on kind of you know real cryptozoology and real sightings as well it's kind of based around that and that's just something that I'm just two chapters away from finishing. I pretty much wrote the majority of it during my spring break because I teach full time. Mm-hmm. So during my spring break, I wrote pretty much that whole book. So th- those are some things I have on the horizon. I just have to finish them and find homes for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's always the tough part. But uh, you are working harder than most people out there, man, on this topic. So I have no doubt you're you if you haven't already, you're going to explode in this field. And uh, it's an honor for to finally have gotten you on here. I love the book. I can't wait to see what comes next. And I can't thank you enough for coming on today. No, thank you so much. Like I said, it's an absolute honor. You're one of the guys I look up to in terms of this field, uh, just because I'm relatively new to it in the sense, even though I've always been interested in it, but I still feel like I'm relatively new to, to the quote unquote scene. And you're definitely one of the guys that I looked up to from the start and to be on, uh, be, be showcasing your show is, is, is really rad. And, uh, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks man. We shall fall and rise together for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care, Mike. Thank you. All right. That is it for this week's episode, guys. Please check out Mike's work at punkrockandufos.com. You can find his book there and all his recent blog posts as well. If you haven't already, please rate and review Somewhere in the Skies on iTunes. It helps us gain more listeners and it's more important than you know. So thank you for your support. We're on Twitter, at Somewhere Skies. And if you have any guest or topic suggestions, please email me at spreg at somewhereintheskies.com. I'll see you next Monday. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies.
This has been a Third Kind production. To learn more, visit thirdkindproductions.com. Hold up. 